You cannot lose games in the NFL and still win. One day I understand. One day go see the baby be born and come back. You're a Major League Baseball player. Did I not tell you? Yes, you did. Oh, see, don't answer. I mean, this, these are all rhetorical questions because you know I told you and you know I'm Analytics not. don't work at all. It's just a crap to some people who were really smart made up to try to get in the game because they had no talent. This kid is a gamer. He's a follower. He's a playmaker and a shot caller. In case you didn't know, I got T-Bow. He shattered the mold and all he does is win. All, all, all he does is win. Hello and welcome to Hot Takedown, 538 Sports Podcast. I'm Chadwick Matlin, an editor at 538. With me at the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference, a live taping. <laughs> is Neil Statman Payne. Neil. Hey, Chad. How are you doing? back from vacation. Thanks. Yeah, I was, I was away for two consecutive episodes. Is that right? Yes. That is the longest I think any of us have ever been out, except when you were writing a book. Okay. Yeah. So. And I wasn't on vacation. I was working hard. That's right. Neil. Very hard. Yeah. Every second. <laughs> Neil, you took the opportunity to go to the NHL Hall of Fame. Uh, it was the Hockey Hall Excuse of Fame. me, the Hockey Hall of Fame. No, don't disrespect those non-NHL players and coaches. Uh, did you find your people there? Because I'm always telling you that <laughs> hockey history just doesn't have the role in people's lives that you think it does. But it, this may have been At this place, it did, yeah. Um, uh, it, it was an amazing uh, place to go and really felt uh, at home, surrounded by all of the shiny trophies that they would give you out in the Genesis version of NHL 94. Uh, I recognized them immediately from their 8-bit <laughs> Uh, images I saw as a child, so yeah. Also with us, Kate Fagan, ESPN W columnist and Hot Takedown's executive administrator of Red Eye Flights. Kate. Oh, you just came up with that. You are fresh from a red eye. I am. Flying home from Los Angeles. Los Angeles. Mm. Before that, Colorado. Yeah. I've not been to your home in New York for some no. time. I feel it. feel really good. Stamina, yeah? Yeah. Pump? A lot of stats to say. Yeah, the whole red eye, just for all you night study, long. Yeah. You studied, good. That's great. Uh, on today's show, a special show, a live show, Baltimore Ravens center John Urschel will join the show to talk about how he blends his love of math with his love of football, if he blends it at all. We'll ask him to use analytics to prove that Joe Flacco really is an elite quarterback. And then Kevin Durant is out for at least four weeks. Was this all part of the Warriors' master plan? And finally, Neil bribed us to talk about hockey at a live show after his trip to the, uh, to the Hall of Fame, the Hockey Hall of Fame. So we're going to discuss the NHL trade deadline, why some teams add more talent but didn't necessarily increase their chances of winning the Stanley Cup. And then an interactive sigdig with our audience here at Sloan. So for our first segment, I want to bring up on the stage, he's already on the stage, but he, we're going to bring him up on the stage, <laughs> Baltimore Ravens Center and MIT Mathematics doctoral candidate John Urschel. John, welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. You're here now. You're here. I'm, I'm, I'm the last You're here. Yes. I'm here now. Thank you for having me. Uh, great to see you. Thanks for coming on. Um, I want to sort of start with your story for, for listeners who aren't familiar with it. Uh, there aren't a ton of, of math PhDs in, in, in the league. And so, you know, fill us in on, on when you knew, did you know football or math first? And uh, have you figured out a way to blend the two, or do they feel like separate pursuits? Uh, okay, so... I knew, like, math. I knew I was good at math when I was little. Like, I was always good at puzzles and stuff. I didn't start playing football till high school. And uh, I was always better at math than I was at football. And I, th- I think I still am. But, <laughs> uh, no, they, they blend a little bit. I mean, 
the biggest thing is there's a sort of competitive aspect there and just a way to deal with setbacks. In math, you know, when you're trying to solve a problem, you're going to fail 99 times and probably fail the 100th time too. And it, it can be frustrating, but uh, I think football really helps me with that. How competitive is math? Like, it's not directly competitive like football is, like this professor versus that professor. Like, I'm going to be beat you. Though, no, like, that'd be cool. You, like, if you had they, an adversary in the mathematics world? The thing, you know what the worst he thing would be? Question we should know. He did not say. I know, I'll get back adversary. to that. <laughs> if I had an adversary and I didn't know, that would just be heartbreaking. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. But is it, so is it more competitive about like solving the specific problem rather than. Yeah. Once you get to a top level, though, it's got to be you see other mathematicians and you're like, they're damn good. Yeah, I mean, you see a guy and you're like, damn, that guy's legit. And maybe he's working on the same problem I'm working on. Then we've got a little bit of competition. Unless we decide to join forces, which is allowed in math. What, what problems are you working on? Oh, this is, is a good too... question. Will I uh, understand? No, uh, th- these are good questions. I, uh, m- myself and a couple collaborators at MIT, we just submitted uh, a string of papers on something called determinantal point processes, which is uh, it's in machine learning. Okay. Subset of artificial intelligence. Okay. Yes. yes. You said AI. (laughs) AI, yeah. That's a sexy thing to talk about. Yeah, yeah. People always like that. Yeah. So, So, I think last year on the Players' Tribune, you wrote that um, that after the end of your rookie season in the NFL, uh, your decision to put off grad school, like, started to eat away at you a little bit. And I'm curious, you know, how, and this doesn't really have to do with math, it just has to do with Mm -hmm. how one balances football life with other pursuits, whether it be you or any other player that you're around, you know, does it feel as though to be an NFL player is an all-consuming task 24-7, 365 days a year, or is the league at a point now, and maybe after your rookie year, if you're a bit more established, you can carve away that time, even if it's not for getting a PhD in math at MIT? Yeah, I mean, going into the league, you never really know, like, what's the schedule like, how much time will I have, but after my rookie season, I got a pretty good feel of, you know, what I can manage, what I couldn't, and I thought, I thought in the off-seasons, I thought I could manage, you know, to do this while training. And uh, it's turned out pretty well for me thus far, I think. And what do uh, your coaches and even, like, your teammates think about this? Like, uh, do, do they ever mention it after, you know, like, seeing uh, stories that have been written about you? Or is it just something that, like, is compartmentalized separately from, you know, football life versus your academic life? No, they'll, uh, I mean, they'll talk about it. Like, oh, we saw this on TV or we heard about that. Do they give you shit about it? That's <laughs> Not really. I mean, yeah, it'll no. be, like, light joking, but uh, nothing too serious. And... Uh, I mean, football supporters sort supportive of math. The math people are supportive of football. But you know, now that I've been doing this for a little bit longer, that support is support to a to an extent. I feel like the easiest thing to to ask would be like, well, how do these two overlap? Yeah. But they don't necessarily overlap. Besides, like you could mind deeper and be like, all right, well, it helps me like you know work hard and focus yeah. better because I've I've got a different pursuit over here, but. Your specific brain and the way it works, how does it view the football field? And at any point, do you feel like math comes into play? No. Okay. Okay. So this, I'm glad that you asked me that rather than like assuming that. I mean, the way it would come into play is I'm on the line. I'm getting ready for a play. I look at the defense. I see what the defense is doing. And at the snap of the ball, say the defense is blitzing or some such thing, I can quickly see what they're doing, and then in my head, 
get some sort of instincts about quickly making decisions about what I should do. And I think math helps me to make quick quantitative decisions. Is it about angles, or is it just your brain being My brain able to churn, being able to churn data you, quickly. Okay. You feel like those are quantitative decisions that you're making when you're on the line. Well, I mean, these are instinctual to some extent, but I think training your brain to be able to take in what it sees and make good decisions is, uh, is something that math has helped me with. Now, along those lines, is there a role that stats specifically play uh, in your preparation, if not like in that moment that kind of help you hone your instincts? Or what do you think the role of stats in the NFL is, for, especially for a player, in, in trying to get better? Yeah. Uh, I'd say for players, it's mainly just frequency stats. So, you know, during the week, you might get a sheet full of just statistics on a number of things. And just seeing what's significant. For example, like maybe I know the defense in the red zone when it's third and long, they like to run this blitz 80% of the time. I get into the game, it's third and long, it's the red zone. And when we're in the huddle, I have in my mind, it's very likely they're going to do the splits. And I think that's the real way that statistics at least interacts with players in football. Would, would you say that there's a specific position in football that is more based on instinctual reaction than in a, another position? Linebacker. Okay. Linebacker. Also, defensive line is very much, you just come off the ball, hit what's in front of you, and then very quickly just make instinctual decisions about what you feel. What's it like then, because if you're always on the offensive side of the ball... Mm-hmm you always know what's going to happen to some degree. Yes. I mean, at least the first moment you know what you're supposed to be doing as opposed to if you're on the defensive side of the ball, there's some level of unpredictability about what you might have to do next. Do you think that that knowing what's coming, is that less tiring or more tiring? Uh, Definitely less tiring. Defense gets tired before the offense, definitely. I mean, plus they got to cover, run to the ball, try to tackle. And that uncertainty is tiring because you're constantly just on this kind of alert, like, attack, attack, like, try to figure out what's going on. Whereas on offense, I know the play, I know what's happening, and all I have to do is analyze things the defense does that just makes me change my plan slightly, as opposed to I'm doing two completely different things. So when a defenseman stunts, for example, on you, that's something that is within your realm of possibility of things that could have happened anyway. Yes. Whereas if you're a linebacker, for example... There's not just run pass, there's right side, left side, there's yes. formation, whatever else. Mm-hmm. So we talk a lot on the show about how hard it is to know stuff about football from an analytics standpoint because there is so, there's so many factors that are going into every play. Um, so, you know, what is, do you think that we will reach a point with analytics or with math about football where we'll be able to say, you know, that the, the right tackle really was the reason that overall this season that the run was able to, 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 to work for the Ravens, for example? Um, or is it just there are so many interlocking pieces that, that it, it's too hard to disentangle one player from another or one system from another? Oh, that's tough. I mean, that's the, that's the million-dollar question, billion-dollar question for football. If you can, If a team could really do this extremely well, they'd be significantly more successful than all the other teams. And, I mean, there's outlets trying to do these things. I mean, you have your PFF, you know, where they're 
trying to you know use some sort of techniques to do this, but there's there's errors, and especially for offensive line play, it's so hard to kind of break the correlation between players playing next to each other, and also just having a knowledge of what a player is supposed to be doing. Oh, as, from the yeah, staff perspective, even I don't knowing, know if you blew the assignment. Or, yeah, or exactly. Even knowing what is this person supposed to be doing on this play is a non-trivial thing to figure out, which makes it harder than, say, like baseball to figure out when someone messes up. Because we know they're supposed to get a hit or a walk, or they're supposed to catch the ball that goes into right field. Yeah. What's something, because it sounds like one, the one correlation between math and football that you mentioned was like some instinctual feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, like football player, once the ball is snapped, if something changes, you have to react that way. Yeah. If I'm going to understand it, what's something you feel instinctual about in the math world that you're trying to prove? Okay, so this is a nice, interesting kind of correlation between football and math and instincts in that it's good to trust your football instincts if you have good instincts. Does everybody think they have good instincts, though? (laughs) Well, I mean, for example, like, I've played on teams with some guys and I've played against guys where I just look at them and I just think, man, you have no football instinct. Mm -hmm. But they might be good. But they might be good, but, like, you know, there's a linebacker and maybe it's a fake this way and we're going the other way. (laughs) This guy's just (laughs) running completely the wrong... Or it'll even be a run play one way. And the guy I'm supposed to block is like running the other way. And I just think, you do you, man. <laughs> and it's, it's like that in math. I mean, your instincts help you as long as you have good instincts. So, I mean, in math, I think it's very important to train your instincts about, you know, what's true, what's not true. And especially when you kind of start as a math major, a lot of the kind of things you would just think would be true aren't necessarily so. And does that mean you have you're still getting better on your instinctual feel mm-hmm. in the math world? Because is it, is it different than your instinctual feel as a human on the yeah, football field? Like, there are different, like, variables at play? Yeah, it's, it's different. It's just a different sort of, like, intuition. Do you think there's, um, you know, the, the people often throw the term genius around when it comes to football and when it comes to math uh, especially, and there do seem to be like these singular people that, that, that come out of nowhere with ideas that are sort of haven't been done before. And then you also have like football players that do that too, like a Lawrence Taylor or someone like that, I think uh, of uh, in that way. Do you think that there, that kind of stems from the same place of like improvisation, but having those good instincts and is that something that just like emerges or, uh, you know, is, is, there, is this a crazy off-base, no relationship at all uh, comparison? I have no clue. <laughs> I don't know. That might be a good question. <laughs> but uh, let me think. I mean, in math, you know, I'd say conditional on, say, having a certain base level of intelligence, like to be able to understand what is going on. The thing that will like better determine how good of a mathematician you are, I think, is creativity and hard work, especially creativity. So the idea of looking at things from different perspectives. Maybe a spin on this question, but mm-hmm. there might be football players, I won't name one because I would be terrible, who are treated as if they're just 
amazing and totally broke the mold on the game when yeah. really perhaps some of it is a luck and who they've been around and, and what mm-hmm. coaching. Whereas I don't think of that in the math world. I think if you've yes. done something in the math world, it's truly because of your own intuition and work ethic. And it's not necessarily because of the variables around you. Is that a decent assumption? Uh, no, because a lot of ways things get kind of proven and discovered is like, imagine you, you get a PhD at like Caltech and you're, That's a good place to get a PhD. This is a good place okay. to get a PhD. It's not, yeah. And you work under, you know, someone studying whatever. And then you go somewhere else to a completely different field. And maybe you solve all these problems. And they think, oh, man, she's a genius. Mm-hmm. When really all you were doing was you came to this new field and you just took these ideas that you had from this other field and applied them in a new creative way that no one had ever thought of. It's not because you're like a genius. Because you really studied this stuff first, and you went to that stuff. Right. Okay. Yeah. So similarly, based on like circumstance. Exactly. I think a lot of it's circumstance. So really, yeah. Is Joe Flacco an elite quarterback? <laughs> so uh, we've been building up to it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. How uh, how are we going to quantify elite? That's your you. What is you? What, yeah. So hold no. on now. You can't. All right. Well, what type of math 30, class 30, is this? There are thirty <laughs> quarterbacks in the league, or whatever it is. Yeah. Starting quarterbacks. Yeah. What do we feel like the elite is? What percentile? Where is Eli Manning? Would you say he's 12th? Then it's 12th. He's not elite. <laughs> okay. So, okay, that's a separate conversation we'll have when we'll we have bring on a, a giant okay. lineman. Okay. Um, <laughs> what, what does elite mean, Neil? You, you think about this. You define it. Well, it is interesting because, you know, I think most people, uh, and you could correct me if I'm wrong here, John, about the idea that if you feel like you can win a Super Bowl with this quarterback, that that makes someone in that elite class. And we've seen Joe Flacco win a Super Bowl. You're so just you're, handing him wow. the answer. So you're, you're so claiming I, elite. Well, I think, for, uh, well, from some people's perspective, you can understand why that would be a definition of it. Now, I would be curious as to whether you agree with that definition. I mean, I'm curious what camp you're in. I am in the non-elite camp because I only feel like there are maybe five, you know, just uh, to pick a nice round number, elite quarterbacks in the league where if you put them around any kind of decent supporting cast, they mm-hmm. can win the Super Bowl. Not could they win it if given this, you know, particular set of circumstances where everything goes right and they have the right receivers and, you know, all of this. And you think of, like, Tom Brady has been able to do it with a wide variety of different receivers and different mm-hmm. teammates. Hasn't done it without Bill Belichick, uh, of course. And, you know, Peyton Manning also seemed like he was able to just take over with any sort of, you know, supporting cast and crank out 12 wins. That, to me, is an elite quarterback. But okay. I don't know what your thoughts are in that department. I want to Neil to keep going, see how long that would go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wait, so who are the other four? <laughs> well, off the top of my head, uh, our, well, we're talking Peyton Manning isn't even in the league anymore. So I don't know. Tom Brady would be one right Right now, okay. uh, and uh, now let me furiously look. I mean, Google. My, why, why, why is what is what is? Look, I mean, uh, Google. Why, why, why is what is what is? The 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 That's the He's course. been really adept at avoiding this question to this I, point. You would be perfect and on the show blame. in general, John. Yeah, going forward, yeah. yeah. not bad. Uh, would, all right. So, but but you but to return to it. Yes. In what the was locker the room or, or whatever else. You know, do you feel? You, as though your teammate Joe Flacco mm-hmm. and Lee quarterback settle the debate, the, the ever-present debate. All right. You know what? I'm going to make a statement. Okay. Joe's elite. Done. He's elite. <laughs> it's done. All right. Good. Wow. Uh, we'll, we'll heard it here first. He is officially elite, and I want to tell you why. Please. 
I think he's the only quarterback in the history of the NFL to ever give one of his offensive linemen <laughs> for Christmas a box of chalk. Huh. Best gift for ever. your math chalkboard. For my math chalkboard. Wow. That's if elite. that doesn't make him elite, I don't know That's what. Elite. So you could have defined elite for us like four minutes ago. I wanted to see what your definition was, <laughs> you know? Because Neil has own, you had a separate one. I kinda like yours better. Yeah, I mean I, I, gotta I think Eli gave one of his linemen chalk as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. So oh, sure. Eli's story. elite too. There we go. Yep. All right. How many high level mathematicians <laughs> are there in the NFL that you could give chalk to? Oh, so other people don't have the chance to be elite because they're not working with enough. That's all I'm saying. It's all about your supporting cast. Yeah. Uh, John Urschel, thanks for coming to Hot Take Chat. Thank you. Appreciate it. Before we keep going with this week's show, it's Chad. I'm back in the studio now. I just want to give you a word from one of Hot Takedown's sponsors. Hot Takedown this week is sponsored by ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Because posting your job in one place isn't enough to find quality candidates. If you want to find the perfect hire, you need to post your job on all the top job sites. And now you can. You can with ZipRecruiter.com, where you can post your job to 200-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. Find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll in to ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. No more juggling emails or calls to your office. You can quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by Fortune 100 companies and thousands of small and medium-sized businesses. And right now, Hot Take Down listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash takedown. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash takedown. One more time, just in case you didn't get it last time. For free, to post on ZipRecruiter.com. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash takedown. Okay, now back to Sloan. Kevin Durant is out for at least four weeks with a knee injury that happened uh, in the last week. In the Warriors' first full game, they, uh, without Durant, they lost to the Bulls after Klay Thompson and Stephen Curry both went cold. Let's hear this take uh, from Colin Cowherd and Chris Broussard about uh, what Durant's injury might mean for, for the Warriors going forward. I'll tell you, I don't favor him in the West. You don't favor him. Oh, so you got the Spurs Colin. now. I think San Antonio now wins the West. So when you when you got KD, you gave up all your size. So now Cleveland and San Antonio can go big or shoot threes. Golden no, they, State's a one-trick pony now. They are. And they don't have their best pony. That one-trick pony is the same pony that went to Game 7 last year in the mm-hmm. NBA Finals, essentially. Um, before we get to what you have, you, I, I see you no, I w- take on that take, Kate. No, I, I was only going to say, I, I feel like when we play hot takes, the point is that I 100% have to disagree with them. You're welcome but to agree. to some extent, I'm, and maybe the very fact that I'm not going to go and say that I think like Golden State's no longer favored means I'm not willing to go fully out on the limb. But I understand how if the whole thing is about like an addition and, and math and how the Golden State Warriors have, the math is, has added up to this point where they're so far ahead of the next competitor that... If you take away Kevin Durant's stats, well, then they're still better than the second-best team in the Western Conference. But I don't think it's a simple equation like that. Right. Because at some point you're pulling out and you're completely disrupting your team. So I actually think the math is not as simple as simply they're 
you know, 30% better and they lost 25%. I'm not good at math. So, well, especially because, better. and this, we'll talk about this, but especially because what Durant was doing gets distributed to others. It's not as though right. the total absence of his productivity. We saw last year that Stephen Curry, as our colleague at 538 Kyle Wagner wrote, Stephen Curry does really well when he has a high usage rate, unusually well, because usually your efficiency would go down when you start to handle the ball more and take more shots. Stephen Curry last year did not have that happen, essentially, or not in the way that we would predict. And so there is a universe in which the Warriors relapse into who they were last year. There are some yeah. reasons to think that they wouldn't be as good, but, but Neil... Well, yeah, because even their math last year, you would say, like, oh, they, they could deal with Draymond Green being suspended for one game. It, the, the math of how much better they should have been than Cleveland. Or they could deal with, like, a slight injury to Steph Curry, but they obviously couldn't because of the way it kind of, like... Untethers. Although they came close to dealing close. with that. Close. Close, yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, so if you just do the math, I did this using real plus minus, uh, which is ESPN's proprietary statistic that takes into account the on and off court impact of a player. Are you required you got, to say that? No, he, you got so good because usually I would ask you to say it. Yeah, well, just, I knew Chad I, was yeah, going to hit me with that. Yeah, it's good. Uh, why, why, do you, why is it necessary every time? Because who knows what the hell real plus minus means? Who knows what I it is like anyway? Okay. Uh, but so if you look at the difference uh, over 82 games, this would cost uh, the Warriors 11 wins. Of course, it's not going to happen over 82 games, and really only in like 20 games, it would cost about three wins over the rest of the season. So in that sense, it doesn't sound like that much. You plug in Matt Barnes, you plug, you know, distribute the minutes around elsewhere, and I think there is something too to what you said, Chad about how the fact that we've seen a version of this team, not exactly the same team, but uh, some version of it with many of the same key contributors in place, win 73 games and uh, come close to the championship without Kevin Durant. And, And, you know, Curry is a player that has to have changed his game because of the way that Durant is such a center of gravity in the way an offense works that I think we tend to believe that when players decrease their usage, they get more efficient. He's a player that hasn't gotten more efficient. And I think that one of the big explanations for that has been the way that he's been forced to kind of play without the ball in his hands as much and, you know, change his game. And so you have some reasons to believe that he would be able to kind of shift back in and and the rest of uh, that team be able to shift in around him and do the types of things that they were so successful for last year. And that was the point of Kyle's story was that you go out and you get Kevin Durant to play this next level of basketball with all of these unprecedented collection of superstars, but you have this great fallback that if one of them gets hurt, you can still go back to what was the winningest team redundancy of all time and, and build in that redundancy. Yeah, but it's hard to know whether you could just go back to it. I think the, the Warriors have a, a leg up from like another team that might have been built this way, like the Miami Heat, right, for a like, long period of time where you're like, built that well, way now. To begin with. Right, but maybe the Warriors have a leg up because they've played before without Kevin Durant like for a long period of time, and that's how they got to be the best team, one of the best teams in, in the NBA. But at the same time, it's not, right? it's not simply just, oh, well, now they can just go back to being. Right. They can't just go back to being because they've been 
now building a different kind of rhythm for whatever it's been. And they've also, it's not exactly the same roster, you know, to sign Durant. They had to kind of gut almost every other kind of part of their depth and and the variety of different kind of shooters and and big men that they had coming off the bench. So in that regard, it's different. The question is just how much different do we think it is? uh, And the roster, the overlap between last year's roster and this year's roster... Last year's players aren't shooting lights out like they did last year, and you have to have the whole team shooting lights out in many ways in order to win 73 games. But, uh, but Andre Godala is not shooting as well um, uh, in his three-point percentage on corner threes. Draymond Green is um, not shooting nearly as well despite taking the same number of threes. Uh, the bench is, is quite different uh, this year than it was last year, though David West has, has, has done well for the Warriors. And so... Kyle's point, uh, this piece of week you mentioned, mentioning on 538, one of Kyle's points is that Durant was also in insulation against the regression to the mean that we knew the Warriors were going to have. So they played well outside any way, any level that any basketball team essentially has ever played. And got lucky last year. And got lucky because you have to get lucky to play at that level, even if you were, were Jordan's Bulls that, that were the, the last team to, to win basically as many games. And so, if you assume that you're going to get less lucky, a way to cut against that is to bring in someone who is so good that he'll change the sort of margins between luck and talent. Right. But then there's another layer that cuts against that cutting against mechanism, which is, and we talked about it before the season, the diminishing returns of having that much talent, especially that much offensive talent in one roster uh, having to share the ball that you could see an effect where it's not obviously it's not going to be uh, an addition by subtraction to have Kevin Durant be injured but uh, that could be mitigated a little bit and that goes to what we were talking about with Curry and even Green uh, and, and folks like that to a lesser extent is that when you take away from some of that diminishing return effect you're kind of going to dampen the effect of the loss it's not going to offset it anywhere near completely but that's something else to think about so, well, I'm, well, I'm still confused about this. How are the Warriors playing differently this year with Duran? And, and if they had to do that, if they had to not do that in the playoffs, is it so different? Because one of the things about the take is that it doesn't matter about who the top dog is in the West in the regular season, honestly. It's about what happens in the Western Conference Finals, essentially. Right. And playing without Duran in the Western Conference Finals when you're really going up against a, another lineup that knows your play set well, that plays you up to seven games and understands how, to, how the matchups are going to work. That seems to be where not having a player, a, a player of that talent and that caliber is going to be hard to make it up because you can't just redistribute that and hope that Curry and Thompson stay hot because there's just too many... You, you need that insurance blanket, essentially, in a, in a tight playoff series. Yeah. Does that seem right? Well, yeah, and in, in, in addition, and maybe it is... Um, a hot take of sorts, and you can tell me if it is, that Curry's efficiency and his impact generally has been slightly less in, in the playoffs. So you have to account for that to some degree as well. Injuries have played a role last year's injury. Right, but even even the year before that, it was at least when I looked at the numbers, and Neil can tell me if I'm wrong, like there was some level of decrease of like total well, that's what we expect, too. Right, I mean, of when course. You're in the playoffs, you're facing the best competition. Absolutely, but if you're if you're taking Curry and being like slightly less effective, and then as well, now you're without Durant. I, I can't just say that like the Warriors. Well, correct me if I'm wrong about Curry and his efficiency. I know you're looking up the numbers right Furiously, now, so I feel like I'm like stalling now until you always, can correct you're, me. You're vamping. <laughs> um, 
I mean, yeah, I don't know that he his decrease, though, is any more than we would expect after taking into, into account the increased competition in the playoffs. So, I mean, I think, you know, we saw him not have the best NBA Finals two straight years uh, in some ways. But I think overall, uh, you know, he plays at a very high level in the playoffs, plays at a super high level in the regular season. So, I don't know. But the one thing about how they have changed just as a team in the regular season versus last year is that, you know, they're, they're shooting a lot more in proximity to the basket. And, and they're making a lot more twos. And, you know, the three po- they're taking fewer threes. And I think that is kind of an interesting dynamic because as you've seen the rest of the league make a move toward threes, now you've had, with the addition of Kevin Durant and building this crazy Death Star of a team, the Warriors, who were known for kind of ushering in that trend or helping usher it in, moved a little bit, just slightly, in the opposite direction. So I don't know if they could maybe make up some of the efficiency by, you know, taking more threes and and putting the ball in Curry's hands. It all comes down to whether we think that there's a reason that his efficiency decreased beyond just playing a different style in the adjustment period for that, or if there's something in, you know, the injuries that he had the rest of the game catching up to him, if there's a reason to think that he's going to be less effective than he was the past few years, which was as effective as just about anyone in NBA history. Well, does the style of play that the Warriors are playing this year make them, like, a bowl, like, like battles against the swing of luck that can take place when you're shooting threes? Like, does their style of play make them less likely to be victims of luck swings. Maybe so, but uh, our boss, Nate Silver, has even done some research on this idea that three-point-based teams are sort of more prone to going cold at the wrong time in the playoffs and they could get upset more easily. And he found that that's not really true. There's not really any difference between a team that's traditionally constructed and a more three-point-heavy team in terms of how likely they are to go cold and, and get you know knocked off. So... It strikes me then that the take that we heard is somewhat founded in, an, in analytics in the sense that you do want that extra person, because of, especially because of Curry's efficiency rate this time. And this is an, an example where Coward and, and Broussard weren't off base, as, as Kate's instincts maybe, maybe uh, took her to, right? Neil? Yeah, you, I think so. Yeah. Right. All right. It's a rarity. I know. Where we're just like totally, you know what? We were like, yeah, Fox was right. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, Let's we, not go too far. We'll leave, 100%. we'll leave it there and, um, and uh, see what happens. Before we keep going with this week's show, it's Chad back in the studio again. And I just want to tell you a little bit about Tripod, this thing I talked about on last week's show and this thing that a lot of podcasts are doing right now in which it's trying to make podcasts more well-known for people who already listen to podcasts, but also for people who may have never tried a podcast before, hence the name Tripod. The idea is simple. Find somebody you love. Find someone you hate. Tell them about podcasts you think they should be listening to. Explain to them what podcasts are if they aren't already listening. For example, I just listened to this Hardcore History podcast. There's an episode about nuclear war. It made me very anxious all week, but it was also super interesting. It was six hours long. If you're in the mood for like a meaty podcast, you know, these these hour-long This American Life just aren't doing it for you. Six hours on nuclear warfare is exactly what you need. And when you recommend a podcast, you can tweet it at one of us, Neil, Kate, or myself, or you can just send it into the ether. Just make others know that you're telling people about Tripod. You can hear lots of other people on lots of other podcasts talking about Tripod because analytics have shown that a rising tide lifts all boats. That's hashtag Tripod. Tell someone you love about a new podcast today. 
The Washington Capitals are the best team in hockey this year, which is what prompted them to try and get even better ahead of the NHL tra- trade deadline. The Caps mortgaged their future for the Blues. Kevin Shattenkirk, an all-star defenseman whom the Caps are renting for the rest of the season to try and break their awful postseason loss streak. I do feel like the Caps fly a little bit under the radar. It's just a cursed franchise that can't... Under the radar? Yeah, because people don't talk about hockey. I think within hockey... Oh, yeah. No, I think it's on Around the Horn. They're all based out of D.C. That's Uh all they talk about. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, So, Neil, before we get to the trade for Shattenkirk and what analysts say about what what the Caps did, can can we take a step back... Can you just tell us how good the Caps have been this season that might have motivated why they're going all in? Yeah, well, the answer is super good uh, uh, in technical terms. So if you look at uh, the simple rating system, which is uh, schedule-adjusted goal differential, they have the best in the NHL this year. And, uh, you know, sometimes the best team is... You know, okay, but not necessarily great from like a historical standpoint. But this is a really top-heavy year in the NHL, and so being number one out of that group and kind of easily number one over teams like the Blue Jackets and the Wild and the Penguins and the Rangers means something uh, special this year. So if you kind of look at their performance uh, and add up their value of all their players per 82 games and kind of you know do it across time, if you go back to 1951, this is the 36th best kind of most talented team in in the NHL over that Not whole the Caps span. History. No, like the whole well, of so this is like one of those teams they're having one of those sort of special seasons that you'll only see once every, you know, couple of years or or more infrequently than that even. Is there any way to tell what value is added with the de- Add of the defenseman whose name I just Kevin Shattenkirk. Shattenkirk. Just rolls off the tongue. Totally. Well, sure. I mean, so Shattenkirk is one of these, you know, kind of uh, all-around good defenseman, all-star, like you said, caliber defenseman, and uh, that was an area where they already were allowing the fewest goals in the NHL. So you'd think, oh, well, you know, why would they try to bolster their defense? And but a lot of that was also the um, the play and goal. And, uh, you know, when it's very difficult to disentangle those two things uh, from each other. But Braden Holtby, uh, their goalie, has been one of the best in the NHL this year, too. And so getting better on defense was an area that they've been talking about for a long time. You know, they have this great offense, Alex Ovechkin and, and people like that leading it. And so that if they had a hole in their roster, that kind of was the area where they could get better. But I think if you looked at the numbers uh, all over, you know, not just... In uh, looking at their goals allowed, but like where they were coming from, according to the advanced stats, like uh, goals versus threshold, a stat mm. uh, that Hockey Prospectus uses. Like butter when you say that. Sure, of course. Uh, that those numbers, they were good across the board already before they added Shattenkirk. And that's what I think is so fascinating about it is that they have kind of taken a, a really complete, really great hockey team that has this cursed tradition, if you want to call it that, and they've sort of doubled down on it and said, look, we are going for it this year, and we don't even care if we didn't, weren't especially weak in this area. We, we got went out and got the best players. Yeah, it kind of almost feels like a statement to themselves. Yeah. That, but, like, sorry. yeah, go for it. But, Neil, as we were taking the train up to, uh, to, to Boston for, for Sloan, you said to me, this might be a fool's errand because hockey is so random that adding a player and mortgaging your future is maybe silly because you either are... It's hard to adjust your chances of winning on the margins in the NHL because it's so random. 
But you can try and hold on to prospects, which would adjust your margins of winning future Stanley Cups, for example, down the line. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that that is one of the other things that makes this so interesting is that we talked about the Warriors earlier. They're such an easy comparison, and I don't think the Capitals are the Warriors of hockey, but if they're, you know, if there's a comparison to be made between the best team in each sport, that's the comparison. I mean, you said they were the 31st best team of all time. Right, I mean, this is one of kind of the great seasons uh, uh, of NHL history that I don't think people are kind of fully appreciating, and they might, if the Caps actually get past the second round of the playoffs. Uh, But even when you have built a team like that, you know, hockey reference only gives them a 14% chance of winning the cup. And that should go up because it doesn't take into account the trades that they made. But at the same time, you're talking about a team having that kind of season and that's the best that they can kind of do. That says a lot about the nature of hockey and about the nature of randomness in that sport versus the NBA where a team like the Warriors opened the season with basically 50-50 probability of winning the NBA championship. That's a crazy huge difference and that speaks to why it makes sense to go for a super team in the NBA maybe not as much uh, control over your destiny in the NHL so the reason you say like you wouldn't call them the warriors of of the NHL is mostly because of the percentage chance that they don't control their own destiny but but I'm wondering like at some point if you have Ovechkin or whatever and for them it's Ovechkin but for whatever franchise even if they only increase their chance of winning the Stanley Cup by like 1%, which might even be higher than they actually increased it, but whatever it is, isn't at some point that worth it? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think... For, I guess it's more, less from an analytics, like long-term, will they decrease their, like, their percentage value long-term and just more so like from an emotional buy-in standpoint? Well, I don't for know. For the current fans. Is the like, emotional Because I looked buy-in... at the comments under it and they were all like, we're all in now. Sure. So that, that's, my, that's the way I uh, assess the But those situation. fans are probably thinking of it from the perspective of if you asked, especially Washington Capitals fans, or maybe not especially Washington Capitals fans, but fans of another team that hypothetically became the best team in hockey, uh, because Caps fans might be more tempered uh, after years of playoff disappointment. But teams, fans of the best team in the NHL probably think that they have a 20 to 30% chance of winning. You know, uh, that's kind of in line with the, the best team in baseball, for instance, I would think probably has around a 20% chance of winning the World Series, maybe 25 on the eve of the playoffs. And so, you know, the, all those comments of like, we're all in, baby, they might be overestimating the odds of winning the cup or, or even after the trades were made, uh, if that Well, yeah, and I'm sure if they don't win in like a year or two and they don't have those draft picks anymore, that's when then it'll come. Oh, right. yeah, and right. you've kind of lessened your window. And I'm not saying that it was a bad trade, and I'm not saying it was a bad idea, but it is kind of... Uh, it makes you think about the nature of certain sports and, and whether it really truly ever makes sense to kind of go all in in a sport where the best you can do is nudge up against 20% odds of winning the championship. So I want to talk about another trade, which I think is probably related. It's also about randomness, essentially, which is that the LA Kings traded for Ben Bishop, a 30-year-old goalie who's Tampa Bay's best goalie of, the, of Tampa's franchise and franchise history. So... The weird thing is that L.A. has a goalie, Jonathan Quick, who made a name for himself when the Kings won the Stanley Cup uh, three, three years ago. ago. Hey. It must have been three. Guys. We both three? think it is. Feels I think right. that's right. All right. That's um, Quick has been hurt all year, uh, only now coming back. 
The backup to Quick has been fine, but not great. Bishop is seen as an upgrade over the backup, but not an upgrade over Quick, necessarily. What's confusing is that, Neil, you talk all the time about goalies being random. Uh, goalies' good uh, 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 talent being random, essentially. Or rather, how the well, talent man- yeah, not random. How the talent manifests in a game is random. And so, let's say Quick goes down. Does it really matter who the backup is? Because essentially you're replacing one random event for another random event, and so and you're trading people away for this new this new random event. The the I think I think Deadspin wrote that it was, it's a great idea because you have a better player, and anything can happen in the NHL. But I guess my point is like Are you basically just trading for a different lottery pick essentially. Right. But giving up a draft pick right, for the right concrete. to swap those two. Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of a bet also about uh, about how much regression to the mean gets built into uh, a projection for a player or a position group as random as goalies because Peter Budai, who had been the, uh, the starter, forced into action for the Kings, career journeyman, having a fantastic season well beyond any of his other seasons, and he was the one that got traded for... Or ben Bishop, who was having a season worse than uh, any of his kind of recent track record would suggest. So it does kind of make you think that the Kings sort of took a little bit of a statistical uh, approach to it and kind of thought, okay, Budai has been good this year, but we know that goalies uh, have this tendency to be random, and so we're regressing him to the mean, and we're also progressing Bishop to the mean. And so when you make that trade, it, uh, the calculus of it comes out to be that the difference between the two would be whatever pick was, was sent in that right. trade. But I think that there is also something to this idea of was it really, do we ever really know what the difference is when we're talking about a, a group of players that do have such wild swings where goalies have this paradox of being the most valuable uh, player when they have a hot season? And some players can sustain a hot season like a Henrik, Henrik Lundqvist or someone like that. Uh, but most goalies can't sustain that for long periods of time. So it's almost like you do play this lottery where if your goalie happens to have a really great season, your team has a great season. And if he has a terrible season, it could mean the difference between being in the playoffs and not being in the playoffs. And you're just at the mercy of you know whatever kind of random variance turns up for you. It's a difficult position to be in, I think, if you're if you're running a team because you do have to make these decisions so, and wait for the luck to to pan out. It's hard to accept the fact that, like, even at this elite highest level of of goalies, that once you get to a certain threshold and talent level, then it becomes all luck. Because while you were talking, I was kind of thinking, you know, when you bounce a football and it just goes every which way. Right. I could be basically practice for twenty years to like respond very quickly to that ball bouncing, but it some point there will be a string of bounces that are easier for me than others. Is it essentially what happens to goalies at the highest, highest level? Yeah, I mean, I think that because... Makes sense. A little bit. Okay. I think it made go. sense. No, it made sense for Neil, so I think, I think <laughs> Neil should take it. Well, yeah, I mean, I think one of the reasons driving the randomness is just that we're talking about a very abnormally shaped object sliding around on ice, and it's, you know, being deflected and this, that, and the other. And one of the other things is that the quality of goalies in terms of, like, the league's average save percentage or whatever has gone up so much over the last 30 years that they're bumping up against very close to a perfect record, not like a theoretical perfect uh, ability, but like stopping 100% of 
all the shots that go toward the net. Now, they'll never quite get there, but you've gone from the league as a whole scoring on, you know, 10 to 15 percent of their shots, uh, something like that, to now only scoring on like 7 percent of their shots or 8 percent of their shots. And so when that happens, that is a huge difference. And uh, you're, you're kind of getting to this point where if everyone is good, then any differences between all of these people that are good at this particular act or pushing up against the perfection point at that act, are the differences are driven more by luck than by skill. So, and, yeah. so I have an observation and then a quick question that we should, that we should wrap and, and move to Sig Dig. Neil, what you said uh, remind me of something that our colleague Ben Morris has written about field goal kickers. And he has this thing that field goal kickers are on sort of like a march towards perfection. I think that's that, a that, very similar that, comparison. That they, are, that they are just hitting more and more field goals from further and further out, and that if you look at the NFL and, and which players have gotten the better at their position fastest and most consistently over the last 40 years, field goal kickers are, is that position. And it, uh, it, it reminded me, Neil, of what you're saying with goalies, is that maybe, you know, our, our colleague Ben Moore says if, uh, kickers are forever... Maybe Neil, you're saying goalies, goalies are, forever, are forever. Essentially, that they, they are on this collision course with with an or they're on an asymptotal uh, 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 line until they make an the asymptotal line. You like total? that, Kate? Well, they're on an asymptote. They're just flying. They, they're trying to get closer and closer to the sun, but they're never going to quite get there. And that's is John still in here? He would know what an asymptote. <laughs> I don't know what that is. I feel like uh, you defined <laughs> plus minus, but you didn't find that. It's, you know, it's it's uh, like this, and then woo, like that. And this just keeps getting closer. Listeners at home, I'm drawing this on my hand. Yep. Uh, and it just keeps getting closer to the axis. Got it. Just okay. gently, though. We can never quite get there. It's a Scythian. Um, Until the NHL widens Super accessible, the Chad. Right. Uh, yeah, very accessible. Uh, all right, Neil, I had a question about which league you would want to most be GM in, given while you're talking about being uh, how random hockey is and all these difficult questions. Yeah. Would you, like, revel in the... Agita and the, like the angst of trying to decide the stuff in the NHL, or would it drive you crazy? It would drive me crazy. But I think <laughs> in basketball, which is the most deterministic sport, I don't know if that's the that's the answer either. Like uh, the the sport you would most want to be GM in, because in that you have to deal with all of these other factors that like. Do you play in a warm weather city? Can you convince this generational superstar to sign with you <laughs> for reasons that have nothing to do with you know uh, anything that you've done? So. I would be the GM of a baseball team. I think it's kind of a good mix of randomness and uh, uh, being able to hatch a master plan. Okay. We can hear the music coming from a panel room next to ours, which probably means it's time to start wrapping it up, which means it is time for Significant Digit. A telling number from the world of sports is brought to us. Audience, it's going to involve you. Can we get a mic out in the, in the crowd? Um, so rather than do our usual one Significant Digit, we thought a Significant Digit quiz would be in order in which it's sort of like, wait, wait, don't tell me, meets, like, 538 stats. Um, and so we're going to do uh, a, few, a few sig digs real quick. So this is the significant digit is 78. It is A, the MLB record for spring training hits by a single player. B, the NBA record for triple doubles scored in a single season. Or C, the U.S. Oh. ultimate record for number of discs Dropped by the national team in a single game. Do we have a volunteer? And then Kate and Neil, you will guess as well. All right. Gentlemen, in the crowd. Yeah. Um, 78. Yeah, probably not triple-doubles just because there's only 82 games. And I played one season of College Ultimate, and the best teams are so good. 
So I'm going to say A, even though I have no idea how many spring training hits are. A, the MLB record for spring training hits by a single player, Kate. How many games are in spring training? What, 30 maybe? Not even There's split squad games, the whole thing. A. A, MLB record for spring training hits. I agree. A. Yeah. Guys, you're all wrong. Oh, no. It's B, the NBA record for triple double scored in a single season. Right now, at this moment. Oh, not for one singular player? You gotta clarify. Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry, guys. We didn't phrase it right. Woo. Such anger in this altered sig dig. All right. I fine. totally. Let's move to the next question. You agree, yeah. right? Now that we've alienated I mean, our, our co hosts here. No, I'm done. Uh, let's get to the next one. 13. Is today's. Is this sig dig? 13A, the number of straight wins the U.S. women's national team soccer team has against Germany. B, the number of teams who have said they are interested in signing Adrian Peterson, who's released from the Vikings this week. C, the number of flops that DeMarcus Cousins recorded in his first few games <laughs> with the New Orleans Pelicans per an NBA audit. In the audience, back there, yes. I think it's A. A, the number 13 is the number of straight wins the U.S. women's national team, soccer team, has against Germany. Kate and Neil. I think it's A as well. I right. think it's A, because I think the other two are kind of jokey, yeah. but I'm not sure. <laughs> right, like, you the can't quantify Follow the other two, yeah, really? Fine. That's fine. The answer is A. Yes. What's A? Right. Got some women's sports right. thing in the pod. Next question, please. 14. A, the number of playoff games that the Patriots have come from behind in the fourth quarter since Tom Brady became quarterback. B, the number of points a team needs to be up in high ally before a mercy rule is invoked. C, the number of games won consecutively at home by the 31st best team in NHL history, the Washington Capitals. Audience. Going to go with C. C, the number of game 14 is the number of games won consecutively at home by the Washington Capitals. Guys, how's your high line knowledge? What is it? That's not how this is working, Kate. What, what is that? What's squ- high line? Yeah. It's like squash with big horns that you throw balls out of. It's the world's fastest. You, you don't watch Mad Men? There was How that many, whole thing in Mad Men where they try and mark the I didn't watch Mad Men. How many? Okay. I'm going to say C as well. C. Mostly out of ignorance. Of, which is the capital's number. It's, it's C. Oh, God. You no, did do a no lot of disagreement. It is C. But I, saw, right. like, I knew that that was happening. Yeah. Big, big deal, Neil, <laughs> that you knew it. You, that you're paid to know these things. <laughs> Next question. Two more. 34.3. Is our sig dig a the percentage of time that a 12 seed upsets a five seed in the men's NCAA tournament? B the average usage percentage of Kevin Durant and Stephen Curry when they share the court, or C the usage percent usage percentage of Steph Curry without Kevin Durant on the court. I'm a big Warriors fan. All right, so I'm going to go with A. A. Because <laughs> you don't want the answer to be true about either of the Warriors. All right. So the guess in the audience is that 34.3% of the time, a 12, 112 seed, at least 112 seed, mm-hmm. beats a 5 seed in a given year's NCAA tournament. Oh, that at least one time. Okay. We really should have honed these questions a little sharper, yeah? Yeah. Okay. I actually think it's C. C. This usage percentage of Stephen Curry without Kevin Durant on the court. Neil. I think it's C as well. 34.3%. This is why you guys are the experts. Sorry, audience member. It is C. <laughs> Steph Curry's nice use of percentage jumps to fifth in the NBA with Durant off the court uh, when Durant is on the court, 34th in the NBA. Our final sig dig for our live sports show, uh, Sloan Show. 
27 and 0 is the sig dig. Is it A, the record of the men's basketball team at South Plains College? B, UNC's record while playing Duke as the better seed? This weekend, number five, UNC plays number 17, Duke. Or C, Gino Oriema's lifetime record when playing at home after returning from a road trip. Audience. I'm going to go with A. A, the record of the men's basketball team at South Plains College. Are you a South Plains College? Uh, Big fan. Uh, okay, good. Big fan. Big fan what are here. they again? What's the, the Texans, uh, the South Plains Texans. Out of curiosity, is this a team you saw on your road trip? This is not a team I saw on my college basketball road okay. trip, no. I also believe it's A, not because I have any knowledge. I just think B and C are wrong. Okay. I'm just going to say C, because any case in which UConn like, dominates something, uh, I think, is right. The only concern is that Gino Ariam has been coaching longer than 27 road trips. That's true, though. That's a great Damn it. <laughs> should have thought of that when it we should made have been, up this answer. It been, because the answer is A. The South Plains Texans are 27-0. There's a piece in the New York Times uh, today on Friday about how they basically plagiarize the Golden State Warriors. And the coach sits at home, watches every Warriors game, charts down the plays, <laughs> Takes it to the team, shows them, and like texts players on the teams the plays by recording it, like recording the TV showing it. And then the teams just make up names for the plays because they don't know the actual names. And the team is 27 and 0 in the junior <laughs> college league. Uh, and they're a sensation in, in, I forget the town in Texas, but the South, South Plains Texans. Uh, all right. That will do it for this week's episode of Hot Takedown, recorded live at the Sloan Sports Analyst Conference. Thanks to Kate Fagan for talking about sports. Thanks, Chad. Thanks to Neil Payne for talking about sports. Thanks, Chad. <laughs> Thanks to the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference for having us. Our podcast producer is Katie Ferguson there in the back. Yay, Katie. Woo! Our podcast hot goalie this week is Jody Avergan. Our intern is Kara Chin. We got production assistants. We usually get production assistants from Tony Chow and Jorge Estrada. They're with us in our hearts even when they aren't here in person. You can email us at podcast at 538.com. We would love to hear what you think of the show. Subscribe, those of you who do not subscribe here in the audience, uh, at your favorite podcasting app. Just search for Hot Takedown. We're also on iTunes, of course, as well. You can go to iTunes.com slash 538 and you'll find us. While you're there, be sure to review and or rate the show. It helps others discover the program. Our theme song is by Mystery Mansion. I'm Chad Matlin. Talk to you next time.